Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of Under the Wig. I'm Jasmine Arnell-Smith. And I'm Hannah King. Our episode today is brought to you by MSLS and the College of Law. The College of Law offers the largest range of flexible, practical legal training programs in Western Australia, with online, part-time and full-time study options and more than 10 start dates, you can fit PLT around your schedule. Google the College of Law to learn more. We wish to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the land of the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation and pay our respect to elders past and present. We respect the knowledge and laws that traditional elders and Aboriginal people in this place hold and pass on from generation to generation. We'd also like to acknowledge the country that you are listening on and pay our respect to any other Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people that are listening today. Our episode today is with Tom Oliver, a current law student at Notre Dame, whose work and research surrounding autistic people in the justice system is leading to reforms in the area. We hope you enjoy this episode. So I guess, uh, Tom, if you just want to introduce yourself to us, what you do, what you get up to, who you really are. Yeah, uh, well, thank you for having me. Um, So my name's Tom Oliver. Um, I'm still a law student at Notre Dame University in my penultimate year, and I work with autistic people caught up in our justice system. Um, So I work as a consultant at Savannah Legal as an autism consultant. I do guest lecturing at Curtin University uh, on the topic, and I recently did a TED Talk about, uh, I want to say, a year and a half ago now on, on the topic and uh, how I sort of how I sort of came into it. I was diagnosed with autism uh, about six years ago now, and I think when I f- was first diagnosed with autism, all I knew about autism was from Rain Man, which is a movie um, <laughs> played by uh, Dustin Hoffman, mm. Uh, mm. and so it's very stereotypical. Didn't understand what it was. Uh, if to be quite honest, and I was really angry when I was diagnosed. I felt like a disability had been imposed upon me. And upon researching what it's about, turning to Dr. Google, I uh, found myself with this great clarity, which uh, I think a lot of people in the autistic and neurodiverse community uh, find themselves in possession of, and and also relief. Um, I think I sort of understood myself more and, uh, you know, struggled to understand sarcasm as a kid, uh, struggled to, uh, would always get obsessed with certain things, love structure and routine, uh, was able to focus for a long period of time. And um, I fell into the law because um, I have a strong pr- propensity for uh, rules. I like, um, I love rules, but I like um, finding loopholes around rules as well. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and and I naturally fell into the intersection of law and autism, and did some research and found uh, that whilst two percent of people are autistic, uh, around four to five percent of prisoners are autistic, uh, and I thought that was that was really quite astounding, um, and that uh, doesn't include the undoubtedly numerous undiagnosed autistic prisoners as well. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I was 
in my second year of law school, I was doing some internships at uh, various criminal defence firms, as you do, and was really quite astounded with the the proportion, if you like, of of clients who were indeed autistic, mm. um, and just the layers layers of injustice which uh, seemed to be bestowed upon them. It really was an uphill battle. I saw, um, you know, the intense um, cross examinations when you have an autistic person in a witness box, um, and um, due to their whether it be inability to focus on eye contact, unusual facial expressions, body language can all be construed as guilt and inequitably. Um, yeah, just this layer, layers of injustice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the media often try and sensationalise uh, offences caused by autistic people, um, which doesn't help the stereotype as well. Um, and when I was researching for my TED Talk, I fell upon uh, three very distinct categories of characteristics which are autistic or rather characteristics of autism which tend to be the underlying cause for their crimes. Right. And these were um, an inability to read and respond to social cues. So mm-hmm. autistic people mm-hmm. uh, tend to be quite naive. Uh, obviously um, autism is a spectrum so there's varying degrees of functionality. Um And I find myself when I'm uh, working with with judges having to explain what autism is, let alone uh, the client's condition. So it really is a misunderstood area. Mm. Um, And there aren't any lawyers um, in this field. I remember uh, searching, trying to search for criminal defence lawyers specialising in this area and couldn't find any here in Australia. And I found one in South Australia, but I think she's retired now. Um, and a few in the US and the UK as well. What initially directed you, uh, obviously studying law, to then specifically look into uh, how the justice system interacts with those who do have autism? What was it that prompted you to really look in that direction? Was it the personal diagnosis or...? Yeah, certainly um, being in the, in the autistic community, I suppose I'm, I'm predisposed to the, to the, the issues. Um, and I suppose, I suppose it was seeing the those the underlying cause for autistic offenders' crimes um, more often than not found that uh, it was due to the their autistic characteristics, so um, inability to read and respond to social cues, hypersensitivities uh, to touch, sound, smells, or the like, or deviations to their structure and routine, which can render them more susceptible to committing crimes. Um, also. Uh, obsessive interests. Autistic people tend to have very specific interests uh, which they can hyper-focus on, but when those interests um, manifest themselves in a criminal nature, uh, then they're really quite vulnerable. Um, For example, there was a case from the US um, about an autistic man uh, named Darius wherein uh, he was obsessed with the public transport system and as a child uh, Darius was taught by employees of a train station to drive and operate trains and buses and as an adult uh, Darius decided to just get in the train and operate it um, getting his passages from A to B all in in perfect timing and uh, ultimately Darius wasn't employed to operate this train and so he was charged with impersonating a federal employee 
and he was imprisoned. And upon his release, uh, Darius was still obsessed with, with trains. He was still the same person. And so he again began driving and operating trains and buses in, in New York where he lived. And the cycle just continued. And, and Darius has now spent most of his adult life incarcerated and segregated from society. Mm. And I think it really behooves us to consider whether in such cases we're merely punishing autistic people for being autistic or for committing crimes. I think mm. that we could employ people like Darius. certainly doesn't transcend the issue of employment um, like any, any offending. Um, studies show working with researchers from the University of Cambridge, which are showing that uh, autistic people do not respond effectively nor even adequately to mainstream correctional settings. Mm. Um, so really quite um, important that we keep them out of imprisonment um, in, in said circumstances. Uh, finding that um, autistic people, uh, well, essentially what I advocate for is suitable therapy over imprisonment. Um, yeah. Looking at, yeah. was recently named um, a finalist for the Young Australian of the Year Award and hoping to, to leverage that to make reform to the Sentencing Act of 1995 such that judges in their, in their judicial discretion must have regard to an autistic person's uh, characteristics when, when they're the underlying cause of their crimes and right. release them from imprisonment forthright um, as a result of, of what we're finding. Um, yeah. yeah. That's a long way to answer your question. No. <laughs> Off that, how do you think undiagnosed autism has also impacted um, convictions in court? That's a really good question. Um, there's certainly, I, I, I meet a lot of people nowadays who are diagnosed at, at 60 years of age, 40, 50 mm. years of age, and they, they all tell me that they wish uh, they'd been diagnosed earlier because uh, they would have understood themselves much more and they could get the help they needed should they needed it, depending on their yeah. functionality. Um, I suppose, I mean, we certainly need uh, more pervasive screening processes uh, for autism and other neurodiverse mm -hmm. conditions mm -hmm. uh, for offenders prior to them entering imprisonment. Um, there are some pro processes to that effect over in New South Wales at the moment, um, but that needs to be more pervasive. Mm -hmm. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. yeah. So how do you think we can then assist jurors or, or even the general public um, to understand what are certain autistic tendencies and to reduce, I guess, the subconscious biases that may exist uh, among some people? That's a really good question. I, I suppose it obviously comes down to general awareness of what autism mm -hmm. is because ultimately yeah. – you know, when you get juries, um, just the general public. And so I do feel as though there should be some uh, judicial directions as to what what autism is and so that the jury can take it upon themselves to distinguish uh, or rather to not um, unfairly prejudice an autistic uh, offender for their autistic characteristics. Um, I think a greater awareness of what those autistic characteristics are in, in the first instance. How do you think also that the general public can help mitigate these injustices that are um, happening against autistic people? I would, I would 
my first point of call, the first point that enters my mind is employment. I think, uh, like with anybody, if you don't have um, a vocation, um, especially with an autistic person, they tend to have obsessive interests and they're so, so they're going to pursue those interests um, whether they're fostered to do so or not. And so I think it's important that society recognises their strengths. And, I mean, there are programs nowadays, uh, they're quite new, albeit, um, through IBM, J.P. Morgan Chase, um, finding that autistic employees are 120% more productive, at least in the information and technology field. Um, I think because autistic people tend to struggle in interview-like scenarios when they're applying for a job, um, they tend to be deemed as incompetent. And so I feel as though it starts there. Um, But as I say, that general awareness of of what it's about, I mean, um, I'm still getting, since since doing the TED Talk, I'd say I get, you know, over, I I get hundreds of messages from complete strangers uh, every week, uh, whether that be via email or, or LinkedIn, uh, from people who, uh, whether they've been, whether they're autistic themselves and have been caught up in the justice system or a family member of theirs has, mm. and they mm-hmm. reach out and they say, you know, um, can you represent me or, you know, can you give me advice? And we mm. live in a jurisdictional legal system and most of the time it's quite heartbreaking because I can't really, really be of much assistance, unfortunately. And so I think it's important that we do have greater knowledge and there are lawyers that can assist in multiple jurisdictions um but great question so what have you been then involved with directly that has sort of promoted awareness about this issue currently within the justice system i've noticed um maybe even i don't know how tight it is to the justice system but your work within spectrum space there um which does somewhat deal with employability from my understanding as well um if you just go into a little bit of information there in terms of what you've taken part in Yeah, of course. Um, I suppose um, what projected me into this issue uh, specifically was a case uh, which uh, came about through Savannah Legal, uh, wherein we had an autistic client we were defending, um, and I can't go into the the nature of of that too specifically because of uh, lawyer-client confidentiality, but um, he was facing 15 years of imprisonment Mm. um, and... Um, we were able to uh, convince the judge to let him off on a non-custodial sentence with suitable therapy and mm-hmm. we were able to, to set a precedent uh, Australia-wide. Uh, so it was really quite a landmark case. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Unfortunately, it was, it was quite unfortunate in the sense that the way in which we came about that decision was the prosecution didn't request a specific um, imprisonment term and mm-hmm. so you could argue that we were somewhat lucky um, and I think really we need to, what we've done is we've, it's, it's almost a Band-Aid solution. It's, it's not a, a bulletproof one. We need to um, pull the issue out by the roots rather than merely uh, snapping it at the stem, and I think um, law reform is, is the way in which to go about that. Um, yes, I do. I was the former chairman of the advisory board at Spectrum Space, and I'm a board member of People with Disabilities WA, um, mm-hmm. and when I was... Um, the chairman, a chairman at, at Spectrum Space, we set up a, um, a massive uh, mentor-like program uh, connecting autistic professionals with autistic mentees, which was 
which was fantastic, and I believe that's still going strong today. Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely. And that in terms of what was involved in that mentoring, was that in relation to sort of employability or things like that? What was involved in that program? Yeah, so it was quite – we tried to make it quite broad but also tailored in the sense that um, autistic people tend to have very niche interests and so we tried to pair um, autistic mentees with autistic mentors who had similar interests. Um, yeah. So we had, you know, whether it be a medical student and uh, one of my, my my good friends, he's uh, he's a he used to be a surgeon. He mm-hmm. studied at um, University of Cambridge, and he has a photographic memory. So quite an amazing guy. Wow. Um, and he. He's now semi-retired, although he still works, and he's more of a medical researcher. And we're able to pair him with um, a young autistic person who has interest in pursuing the medical profession. Um, And so, yeah, cases like that where we try and uh, pair suitable suitable people together. Wow. No, that's an amazing program to run that I'm sure has had uh, a huge impact on so many different individuals then. That is, yeah, incredible. Um, So how would you say um, your diagnosis of autism has impacted um, your degree and any experiences you've had as a law student? I would say more so it's helped me to relate to the clients. Um, But it's really really quite um, horrific seeing clients for such inadvertent reasons finding themselves in situations. For example, there was there was a case um, from South Australia wherein um, a, an autistic man went to, to catch a bus that he'd forgotten his concession card and mm. when he went uh, to enter the bus and uh, discussed this with the, the bus driver and the bus driver questioned this guy's, you know, where's your where's your concession card? Um, the bus driver uh, essentially just brushed past uh, our cl- the client's arm, and the client was overwhelmed by this, and ended up assaulting the bus driver, and this this person ended up in prison. And so, really, it just starts off with such a trivial, uh, I would say, misunderstanding, um, and I think. Yeah, I suppose my autism diagnosis allows me to provides me with a greater understanding as to when and specifically when um, an autistic person's uh, characteristics and what's part of their diagnosis has been the cause for their crimes and when it's not, if you like. And so I guess I guess to sort of move the topic just away from that a little bit, um, you were nominated as a Young Australian of the Year. What was that experience like, sort of, as a whole? Um, yeah, that was. I was very honoured. I'm not sure what to say. Um, yeah, it was, I was very honoured. Um, yeah, it was great to be recognised uh, for the work I'm doing. Um, I think it. I think it highlighted that they're really. I remember when I was first working in this area, thinking this was quite common sense. The work I was doing. Mm. Um, was working with the Harvard Law School project on disability uh, with yeah. um, Professor Paul Harper and working with him and thinking and, and having a discussion with him saying, you know, I'm, I'm talk, doing diversity and inclusion events with IBM, other large corporates, and 
it feels, at least in my subjective mind, that I'm just stating the obvious, stating very yes. obvious things. But yeah. obviously this isn't something people know about. Um, yeah. yeah, and I suppose furthermore I would say that um, there are no real uh, lawyers in this area, not many at least, and um, I guess this award of this high honour really highlighted that. Um, I was going to say as well, something that kind of ties on with that is the fact that you're doing guest lecturing at Curtin. Firstly, how has that, how do you feel like you're raising awareness and the importance of that for law students to understand? And then secondly, you're still a law student. So how does it feel to also be lecturing to law students? Yeah, great question. Um, I do feel quite chained as a law student when I'm really determined to be a lawyer and go into this field. Um, I think I think it's really important that we educate the next generation of lawyers um, and make them cognizant of the wide range of, of of fields that they can go into, and not just the um, the you know just the corporate sector. Um, I think it's important for law students to try a, a, variety, a broader variety of fields, especially in their penultimate years and, and, and younger. Um, but I feel like there aren't many courses, um, not much is done on um, niche areas such as autism law, mm-hmm. uh, mental health law, especially in WA. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more um, on it in the US, I note. Um, but I think it's really important that we have lawyers, as I say, in a variety of jurisdictions because, I mean, I get messages all the time from um, people who are in different states, different countries, and asking for my help and having to having to tell them that I can't actually help them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So do you think then, I guess, within universities, either WA or Australia as a whole, that there is a unit introduced or extra things required of a unit such as introduction to criminal law that makes students ensure that they do learn about um, certain yeah disabilities or differences amongst people that are of relevance to the justice system absolutely and I recognize the limitations in that uh, when you're when you're studying something like criminal law you're, you're covering a large mm. a large set yeah. of information and so to go in depth into autism law it's quite a niche thing so at least I would say as an elective unit. Um, but yes, in short, yes, I do think it's very important. Yeah. <laughs> and so on that note, again, do you have any sort of advice for your younger self, whether that be sort of maybe before you went into law school or in your first very year of uni, straight out of high school, what was sort of what were any advice that you would have for yourself then? I would say um, don't be afraid to stand up for what's right and really follow mm. your own pathway. Um, don't mm. be obliged or don't feel obliged to um, go into the corporate sector just because you've got the highest marks. Um, mm. I would say I remember when I was first, these issues were first illuminated to me, I remember feeling um, not sure as to whether this is something I really ought to be speaking out on if I was mm. in the position you talk about imposter syndrome. I'm not sure. Tr- wasn't really sure if as a mere law student I could discuss these issues. Mm. And so I wish I'd developed the confidence earlier. 
Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's, yeah, probably the amazing thing. Honestly, we all do a little bit of stalking. I remember looking at your LinkedIn page and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, <laughs> how have you done this? But to show that you've found an area that you believe you can offer insight in and it doesn't matter that you not necessarily haven't, you know, you have not got your degree yet, you can still go and be lecturing to a bunch of students the same age as you, older or slightly younger at Curtin and just be informing that of that issue. I think it's, yeah, it is like truly an inspiration to probably yeah. a lot of yeah. a lot of law students. So, yeah, <laughs> I was in a bit of awe. So, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I just want to, yeah, thank you so much for your time today, uh, Tom, that it's been an absolute pleasure to yeah. speak to oh, you. Thank you for having me got some yeah amazing things to, yeah. to offer and i really do look forward to seeing what you do over the next 5 10 15 years i'm sure it'll be yeah. insane <laughs> yeah yeah thank you very much thanks to our presenting sponsor the college of law follow murdoch student law society on instagram and facebook to stay up to date on our next episodes